So this is that time in the service where, you know, you get to electronically give since we don't pass the baskets and you can do that. They'll put up a, a text there where you can send that in. And just again, thank you for your faithfulness in giving to the Lord. I love that worship song. It's so fitting uh, for this chapter today. And I, I pray the Lord brings that back to you. Uh, he is so worthy to be praised. We're in a series in the book of 1 Peter. If you have a, a Bible handy, and I pray that you do, you could open it with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I titled the series Hope in the Dark because, uh, again, what Peter's writing about uh, to those uh, pilgrims passing through there, suffering in the world, um, there's some similarities that uh, they were going through that we're experiencing in our own world and our own lives today. This is considered a general epistle when you study, there's seven of them, um, Peter, James, 1 John, um, we read written just generally to the church where the, uh, we call them Pauline epistles, they were specifically written to churches. And so again, this work here in 1 Peter, uh, Peter would be writing to not just generally to the church uh, in the era in which he wrote it, it was probably about 64 AD. But uh, it also is very fitting for the time in which we live today. Um, you know, I shared with you a few weeks ago when we began this series about what it was like, you know, for those that were there. And, it, and it's really important to know the backstory um, because it helps make sense of what Peter was talking about to, to the church then um, and what it would mean to us today that are going through very similar circumstances in the world in which we live. And remember, it was July of, of AD 64 and Rome was basically on fire. Um, I believe that you know, Nero had actually uh, caused the city to burn. Uh, all the old buildings, you might say, all the things that uh, he didn't like, uh, much of the the land ended up being burned, thousands of acres, thousands of homes were destroyed, things that we're experiencing, you know, uh, in California, you know, even today. And there was a revolt that, that began to rise up as they realized that it was Nero who was actually the one who had set the fires. And he did because he wanted to do away with the old so that he could uh, build new palaces made of marble that would stand uh, the test of time for him. Would be his legacy, you know, be how he would be remembered uh, through the course of time. And so as the word, you know, began to get around, again, there was a revolt that rose up and, and they were going to overthrow Nero uh, from power. And so he had to find a scapegoat. He had to find somebody to blame. And there just happened to be a group of people living in Rome at that time. They were called what? Christians. And uh, they were a peaceable people. They were a loving people. But they were a misunderstood people. Have you ever been misunderstood because of your faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah. And they were misunderstood. They were, they were considered by some to be cannibals. And you've probably heard that because they practiced communion. They broke bread. And they, they said you know, that they were eating the body of Jesus and they were drinking his blood. And so people you know, didn't understand. They had these things that, that the Apostle Paul writes about. You remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, he called them what? love feast, right? So when they'd get together, they would do so to enjoy a meal together the same way that we do today as a church. We get together and we, we have fellowship and we break bread and Jesus is in the center of those conversations, hopefully. And uh, there's great fellowship and what takes place during those love feasts, you know, as James would write about, 
is that we confess our faults to one another. Instead of talking the world down, so to speak, you know, we're open as to what's going on in our own hearts and our lives. And we're going, hey, this is what I'm going through. What are you going through? How can I pray for you? You can pray for me. And so they, they were a very, you might say, easy prey. And so Nero began to gather up Christians. And you've read the stories where he would have these elaborate parties at his palace and he would take Christians and he would dip them in pitch or in tar and he would string them up on post in his garden. He would light them on fire. That's what he used for lamps. You think it was the cruelty of that. And it says that, you know, he, he had lost his mind basically and he would ride his chariot naked around through his, his garden uh, with Christians burning uh, at the stake. It was nothing to have Christians you've read throughout history thrown to the lions just for sport, just for fun. And there would also be times where he would have Christians uh, strung up and, and tied behind a horse. If you've watched an old Western, you know, where they'd, they'd tie a, someone who was a, a thief or a murderer and tie him behind a, a horse and drag him through town. And well, they would do that in Rome as well, but they would do it until they died. And these are just things that, you know, he, he came up with, you know, one was said that he uh, wrapped Christians together. He would put multiple Christians in, wrap them in leather and throw them in water so as it would shrink, it would suffocate them, just, you know, torture, just dreaming up things that he could do to torture believers. And all it was was to cover himself. That, that's what you know, was taking place there. And so here, that being the backdrop is what, you know, Peter uh, is writing to. And we think about, you know, how does that parallel? Well, we know today that martyrdom, you know, because of the faith uh, is just as prevalent today in the world. There's actually probably more people being martyred for the Christian faith in third world countries. We just don't hear much about it, but it's taking place in the world. Christians are being marginalized. You're probably finding that to be true in your own life. You know, there used to be a day when if you filled out a resume, you with joy, you'd write on there, I'm a Christian. You know, I attend the, you know, first such and such church, you know, uh, in town. And that was something, you know, that, that you were proud of. Now it's like, man, you know, they say, hey, whatever you do, don't put, don't put that you have a belief in God on there. Because, man, I mean, you will just come under attack. And many people do. And so it, it's so fitting as we study through this is how do we relate to a world around us? You know, with social media and and. We see, you know, probably one of the new terms in the last months has been cancel culture, right? So if you stand up for something that somebody else doesn't like, they try to cancel you out, try to eliminate you. It's a form, like I said, of you look at the, the torture or to eliminate somebody from society or to just, in a sense, to snuff you out. I mean, those are happening. Sometimes it's not necessarily physical, but it's definitely happening in the spiritual realm. It's definitely happened in the social realm, you know, within social media. And so these are pressures that, you know, as, as Christians, we, we fall under. And it's like, how do we, how, you know, how do we get along in a world that just doesn't seem to want to get along with us? You know, it's not like our, as a church, are we trying to hurt the world? And you go, no, we want the, like, as the word of God says, that God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance, that the world would be saved. Amen. We have the good news of the gospel, but it's a hostile world. The same hostility that Peter was speaking of that was taking place in AD 64 is still happening in 2020. You know, and so there's much that, you know, like I said, we can, we can glean from this. But at the same time, you know, I'm reminded, you know, as we get into this, <clears throat> there was a, a quote by 
Mark Twain, he said, you know, 20 years from now, he said, you're not going to be disappointed by you know, the things that you did. You're going to be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do. And I think that's really true because I want, I want to begin this with, with, with good news for each and every one of us today. You know, here at Calvary Chapel, we talk a lot about the fact that Lamentation says that the mercies of God right, are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. And Peter would remind us as we get into this today that you aren't who you once were. You couldn't be if you wanted to be. You're not even who you were yesterday. It's, it's gone. You are who you are today. But better than that, you are who God says you are. It's not what the world says you are. You know, the world is trying to squeeze us in. And that's what Peter's reminded us. The same thing, same thing that Paul would write to the church in Rome. Remember, he said, be what? Not conform to this world, <clears throat> but do what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Because we are, we're being pressed, we're being squeezed, and we feel it. I mean, we have to be honest about it. And sometimes it's painful. We, we lose friendships, we lose relationships. All because of what? Of what we believe about Jesus Christ. That's why we need one another. <laughs> it's, it's one of the great things that we get to see as we walk through this here. You know, again, look at uh, <clears throat> of all the things here this morning. We'll read this and we'll pray. You know, the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life was the moment that I became born again. When I, when I discovered, you know, Jesus Christ and he opened my eyes to the truth of, of his word and who he is. And that salvation was a gift from God that it wasn't something that, that I could earn. It wasn't something that I deserved, but it was something that I could receive and that something dynamic would happen. You know, I would be born again. And as I came to, comprehend that and experience that in my life. I mean, do you realize every good decision, every good thing that in my life that's ever happened goes back to that moment because of that, because of God, because of his, his infinite mercy, his infinite grace, God's goodness in my life. Every other decision that I've made that's been good can all be traced back to that decision of receiving Jesus Christ as my personal savior and the Lord of my life. And I think it's true for all of you. The best decision that any person could ever make in this life is to choose to follow God, amen? Is to open our heart, you know, to him. Let's read this in First Peter. We'll start there this morning and we'll, we'll jump from here, but I wanted to read this to you, you know, and pray again, uh, just because of the fact that I was gone two weeks. So you, you probably forgot what you ate two three Sundays ago, right? So, yeah. First Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, as I read this this morning, I'm reminded of what we were talking about a couple weeks ago now, or three weeks ago now, that really for all of us, the best decision that we've ever made was inviting you to come into our, our heart, asking you to forgive us of our sins and to cause us to be born again. Lord, help us to, to recognize that every good decision, every choice, every good choice that we've made in our lives is connected to that choice, to that decision. To think that, uh, Lord, when we were born again, some things happened. And we looked at it a few weeks ago, and may you just remind us and encourage us again today. We aren't who 
we once were. We are who you say we are. And Lord, we need to come back to that again and again and be reminded because we have an enemy of our soul. Not a, a physical Nero, so to speak, but we have, as your word says, uh, an enemy who goes about like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. And so today we put on the helmet of salvation and we're reminded that salvation isn't because of what we've done. It's because of what you've done, Lord. It's how we'll end today, being reminded that we have a Savior who came from heaven to earth, who died for our sins. He is the captain of our salvation. And we love you, Lord Jesus. And we give you this time today as we pray in your name. Amen. And so I shared with you, you know, a few things, you know, the last time that we were together here, when you were born again, there was really three things that happened that Peter brings out. Um, the first was, you know, that we are born into a living hope, you know, and again, first Peter three uh, and four says this says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, not a dead hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. What's the difference between Christianity and every other religion that's out there is Jesus is the only one who's risen from the dead, right? Every other faith leader is dead in a tomb somewhere. You know, only Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It says, to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You think about that. You know, what a message you know, that we have. You know, in a, especially in a world where people feel so hopeless that we can share with them the gospel. That what? They can be born again to what? A living hope. A living hope. In a world where things, it seems like every day are dying and going away and being destroyed. See, what Peter's reminding us of in light of the persecution of Nero and the things that were going on in Rome is that, again, this isn't our home. He told them they were pilgrims. You know, again, what was a pilgrim or a sojourner? It was someone who they, this was living in recognition that this world is not their home. That we're passing through here. We need to learn how to travel light. You know, Paul was a tent maker. You know, Jesus has said, you know, the, the birds have their nest and the foxes have their dens. He said, but the son of man has what? No place to lay his. He didn't own any property. He was passing through. Heaven was his home. Man, you know, if we could all get freed up in that, you know, and how different, you know, our lives would be. We were saved to a living hope. And what is a living hope? designed by God to do. It's, it's designed by God to, to motivate us, to activate us, you could say. I mean, you think about this. If there's any hope of an afterlife, it gives you something to, to look forward to, right? It gives you something to continue to press on for. I mean, could you imagine, I mean, think for a second, if there was no heaven, if this life was what it was all about, I mean, how heartbreaking that would be. Because we see, you know, babies die, you know, teenagers die, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, all the way through. And then imagine, you know, in the truest sense, you know, living to uh, an old age. And usually, you know, if you, if you live long enough, uh, you know, this tent, Paul talks about the human body is a tent. It starts to what? It starts to fall apart. You ever seen a, a tent in a windstorm? You know, I want to go into all the details of it. But what does a tent do in the wind? You just see it flapping in the wind. I got to believe Paul was looking at that tent flapping in the wind. And he's going, and he's looking at himself and he's going, 
you know, they, biceps aren't as tight as they used to be, you know. I told you the story about the guy who was going through his midlife crisis and was, you know, I was doing the wedding and uh, it was the father-in-law and he was telling me about, you know, going through a midlife crisis and buying a motorcycle. And he was riding down the road there on Highway 1. He looked over and he saw a shadow, right? And he saw it and he looked down and he saw this thing and he saw something just flapping. And he reached up and he goes, oh my gosh. So he said he stopped at the first gas station and he said he bought himself a man scarf. He called it a man. I go, what is a man scarf? He goes, I just found the first handkerchief. He goes, you know why bikers wear handkerchiefs? He goes, you know, he goes, it's to, it's to tie up the, you know, the chicken skin, you know? And uh, it was so funny, you know, that he was sharing that. And he's going, you know, he goes, it's not like when I got my first motorcycle when I was 20, you know? And, and so again, just think about this. I mean, how would that be? You go, we would just, we're your age, you go through things and, you know, and you, whether it's illness, disease, whatever the things are, and then you die. And you go, man, that would be, that would be so disheartening. But see, we have a reminder that, hey, guess what? We're getting a new body. You know, you're going to get to heaven. You're going to get a first, a resurrected body. And then when everybody's there, we're going to get what? A glorified body. I mean, I don't know. Scripture doesn't explain how all that works, but I mean, I got to imagine, you know, for those of you that are my age or older, you know, you get a JCPenney catalog. And it's just, it's just, you get to pick what color your hair is, what color your face is, how tall you are. You get to order yourself. You know, you go, Lord, you know, whatever you weren't on earth, you, you know, and this, you get to be in heaven, you know, type of thing. You go, now, I don't know. I'm just teasing with you. you go, but, but we have something to look forward to. Amen. I mean, that, that, that's the joy of it, because without Christ, it's like Paul said, if, there, if there's no resurrection from the dead, he said, as the, for the church, he said, we are to be pitied above everybody else because we believed a lie. When we should have just been out there doing what? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we surely die. But we don't, because why? Because we have a hope. We have a hope of the resurrection. We have a hope of heaven. We have a living hope. But it doesn't end there. You know, we don't just have a living hope. Look what it says there in verse 5. It says, who are kept by what? The power of God. So we have a present power. Do you know you have a present power? You don't just have a living hope and a promise of, of a future and a glorious future of, as that. You also have a present power. You have a help right now in your life. The Holy Spirit came into your life to do what Jesus said. I will pray and the Father will send a what? A helper. A helper. And he tells, you know, through Luke in, in the book of Acts, he says, you know, wait until what? You receive power, dunamis, dynamite, dynamic power in your life. God's with you. He's in you. It says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the time to come. His power, it's, it's a keeping power. You don't have to, you don't have to fear. It's like, oh, I got to hold on to Jesus. You know, like, like your salvation is contingent upon your grip. You realize your grip isn't as good as it used to be? And many in here, besides myself, have a tendency to lose things. You know, forget where you put it. Can you thank, thank God that, you know, he's like, salvation wasn't a coin. Like God gave it. Here's, here's Mike. Here's your salvation coin. Don't lose it. You know, I'm like, let me see my salvation. Like, you know, what did I do with it? He kept it. He has sealed us. He knows those who are his, and he's marked you for the day of salvation. You don't have to, like people go, you know, I just got to, you know, it's like, you know, he, when he's coming for you, it's like, again, 
you can't appreciate this if you're young because it didn't, the world didn't work like that. When I was a kid, you know, when you wanted something, or my parents would go to Montgomery Wards. We call it, you know, you guys call it monkey wards, but we call it Montgomery Wards. And, and we would go there and they would buy, say, a refrigerator. But we put it on what? Lay away. Right? Because we didn't have, it was, you paid cash for it. There was no credit. So you go there and we, we want that refrigerator. So they would put a sticker on it that would say sold, right? And it would have my parents' name on it. And I remember going down there sometimes and just standing next to it, you know? They didn't put it away. They just left it out there until, I mean, people could dent it. You know, if you had somebody that didn't like you, they'd come down, hey, there's Clint, you know, kicking your, kicking your refrigerator, you know? But they would leave it there until you picked it up. But it was yours. And, and the Lord always brought that to my mind. It's like when you opened your heart to him, he sealed you for the day of salvation. You're still here. But guess what? You belong to him. He's preparing a place for you. You're like a refrigerator, but better. And, he, and he's, when he's ready for you, he's got a spot. And he'll take you in. But it doesn't end there. It just keeps getting better. In, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, we also have a rejoicing love. We talked about that. It says, whom having not seen you love, though you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. See, there's something about knowing that you're loved when you really have that sense that you're loved. Isn't there a contentment that comes with that? You know, you, hear, you see couples say, I don't need anything but you. I mean, seriously, you know, it's like the, the mushy, fun things, you know, that we say, you know, when, I, when you fall in love, you know, I'd tell my wife, you know, honey, I, I could die right now. This, this, is, this is it. This is, this is it, you know. And it, but there's, there is something with love, right? That there's, there is a peace that comes with that. There's a joy that comes up. People walk, you know, like when you know when somebody, if you're a parent and, you're, and your child falls in love for the first time, if you can't remember when you fell in love for the first time, maybe that was a long time ago. But you go, but like your kids, they come home, they're like, what? You go, you're in love, aren't you? No. No, you can't hide it. There's just a, a, a joy. Or it's like when a woman finds out she's pregnant and wants to be. You know, there's a joy. There's, a, there's just this glow. It's like, you're pregnant, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> because it's a love. And, it, and it's like that. He says, though you don't see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. You go, I just can't say it. I, I, my life is just different. You know, when I open my heart to Jesus and it's like, I don't, I don't, things don't really matter. I was having lunch with uh, John Border on, on uh, uh, Thursday <laughs> and I love, John's one of those guys, I have known John since back when I was doing youth ministry. And John used to have this, this saying, he'd say, you know, I'm not holier than thou. We, we both came from a Catholic faith. He goes, I'm not holier than thou, I'm just holier than I used to be, you know, type of thing. We're just, we're works in progress, right? But I so appreciated, I was watching him. I didn't know what he was doing. We, we were reading it like 12.15 or something, you know, and it was 12.15 and I see John walking like back to his truck and I'm just pulling in. And I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not even late like I normally am, you know? And it's like, and he's leaving already. 
And uh, he walks, and then he, he kind of takes a couple steps back towards me. He's, he's like this. He goes, he's walking away to the truck, and he turns around, and he, goes, and he comes back, and he goes like this again, and finally he comes back, and I go, you know, John, what's going on? He goes, oh, this guy backed into my truck. He said, he just smashed my bumper. He said, man, I just, I just spent 2400 bucks fixing it all up. You know how they could tell you, do the brake job, do the transmission. He goes, I said, I'm going to keep it, so I'm, let's just put all the money into it. He goes, no sooner did I do that. And he goes, all of a sudden, the guy. And so the guy comes walking up. So I'm thinking, how's John going to handle this? You know, would you be mad? Guy just plowed into your truck that you just spent all this money on. And John's like, hey, man. He goes, it, he goes it's, it's, it's cool. He says, it's an accident. He goes, things happen, you know. And uh, so they exchanged new information and, and started talking about Jesus. Well, the guy says, well, you know, my boss is a Christian. He's actually on a missions trip right now. And so the whole focus of the conversation wasn't even about the bumper. Matter of fact, John had to go back and check. He's like, did I get the guy's information? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and, and that so blessed me because he didn't, it, those things that we can get so sideways about, like go back to that Mark Twain quote, you know, 20 years from now, the things that are going to disappoint me and you isn't going to be what we did. It's what we didn't do. You know, I shared that going into COVID, right? I go, I hope that Christians who just hunkered down, who just li are living in fear right now, that in five years from now would look back and go, oh man, God was calling me to live by faith and to trust him and, and not to live in fear. And yet I know that some five years from now look back and they'll go, man, COVID was probably one of the best things that happened in my life. It reignited my passion for Jesus, my love for his word, definitely my desire to be in fellowship, you know, with other believers and to serve. And I'm hearing that from more and more people. You know, what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn for good. Amen. If only we'll look to him, if only we'll trust him. And so again, there in 1 Peter 1.8, you know, it just speaks of this real deep satisfaction, this quiet joy that we have because we know that we're loved by God. And that's what Peter wants those believers there in, in probably one of the darkest moments, you know, in the, in the history of the church in that, that era. And, and it's a great reminder today. It's a general epistle. It's a reminder for me and you too. It's like a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. You know, we're a work in progress. There's God is doing something in you. The key is let it out. And that's kind of where, you know, he he leads to as he walks through this. There, there's some, you know, as we, we talked about three weeks ago, there's the results of belonging to God. And I shared that with you. You know, there, there's three things that really mark uh, the Christian life that we looked at. And that was, first was be holy. The second was be fearful. And the, and the third was to be loving. And at the end of the service, I said, hey, choose, choose one of the two things. Either, you know, focus on being holy in your relationship with God, becoming whole or being loving. So we, we think of the Ten Commandments or loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. you know, focusing in on becoming complete in our relationship with God. And that's what really what, what Peter is speaking to. Just as a reminder there in verse 16, he says uh, in chapter one, he says, because it's written, be holy for I am holy. And you recall, you know, that word hold there, Again, it, it, it's such a, a wonderful word in Scripture. We talk about in Scripture the beauty of holiness. Whenever God talks about holiness in the Bible, he talks about beauty. 
And the world talks about holiness and it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's like, like you're prude, like you're losing something. Where actually in scripture, it's the very opposite. To become holy is to become beautiful. It's to become complete. You know, we think of Proverbs 31. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain. But a woman who what? Who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It's a, it's a beauty that comes from the inside out. And it, it has nothing to do with just being female. It's male and female. You know what it's like when you're around somebody who's truly holy. Because as we express this, we go from being holy. And so you think about these are the things that, that earmark our life. You know when, when God's got a hold of your life. You know when you're born again, because when you're born again, there is a desire for holiness. You don't, you don't take pleasure in the things that you once did. And if you did, you'd have to ask yourself, kind of the, I love that expression by Pastor Chuck Smith, if there hasn't been a change, then what? There hasn't been a change. But if there has been a change, there's going to be a desire for what? For completeness, for wholeness. And that comes by worshiping God, spending time with him, being transformed by him. The second thing that we saw is in verse 17 was to be fearful. It says, and if you call in, in verse 17, he says, on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay. He's talking about your time of stay here on earth in what? In fear. You think about, you know, God's not a respecter of persons, right? Can you trick God? Can you pull a fast one on God? Can you manipulate God? Can God be bought? No. So all the things that happen in the world that we do to people, you can't do to God. And that, that should cause fear in our lives because we might not even be cognizant of it today of how much we use tactics have you ever met a woman who used tears to get what she wanted? I'll have couples that will come into my office and, and right away the woman will start to talk and she'll just start to cry. And you can kind of see her. It's like, she, <gasps> and that, this isn't true of all situations. I want you to understand this. I'm talking about as a tool of manipulation. And, and I know as, as a pastor, what I do is uh, I want to sympathize and empathize with that. I'll just grab a, a bottle, box of bottle box of Kleenex, yeah, here, drink this, <laughs> box of Kleenex, and hand it to her, and, and to say, it's okay, go ahead. So I don't try to stop her. I don't say, oh, no, you don't need to do that. It's like, no, if, if, you, if you've been in my office, I'll if you need to cry, it's okay. If you need me to cry with you, I'll cry with you. But I'll give you the box of Kleenex, and you can hold it, and you can, you can use it. But I've had women, that they'll do it, they'll start to cry, and I'll hand them the box of Kleenex, and they look up, and they, it's like, you can almost read their mind. Like, oh, this isn't working. And all of a sudden they just, okay, hey, okay. Now, where was I? And I'm like, wait a second. The whole world was just falling apart like five seconds ago. And, and we, we can all be guilty of that. That was just the first one that came to my mind. Okay. There, there's, there's hundreds of them in all of our lives, you know, that we do things to, to manipulate people, to get people to do what? To do what we want them to do. You can't do that with God. And so Peter's saying, you, you need to be aware of that. And he's not a respecter of person. So don't think if you're, you're, you, you're faking everybody else out, that's the old expression of you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God any time. And it's so true, is that you go, he's going to deal with it because he loves you. Just read the book of Hebrews. He will chasten every 
child that he receives because he cares about you. He loves you. He loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to what? Leave you the way that you are. Yeah. And the third thing that we looked at was in verse 22, where Peter says, since you have been, you have purified your souls and obeying the truth of the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently. And that's what we talked about, the loving one another fervently with a pure heart. And so here Peter takes us through these things and look what he begins in chapter two there in verse one. He says, therefore, and it's an interesting word, therefore, you know, whenever you see the word therefore, you should stop and you should say, why is that word therefore, therefore? And you think, what is he, what is he doing? And he's saying, everything that I've just told you about you being chosen of God and because you're elect of God and that you belong to God, these are the things that you should do. They're not works. It's the natural outflow of your life because of who you are. That's why I titled today's message, Be Who You Are. See, a Christian, by definition, a Christian is a little Christ. That's what the definition, when somebody goes, what is a Christian? Well, very simply, a Christian is a little Christ. We aren't Christ, we are a little Christ. And so you look at this, he says, therefore, laying aside all malice. So again, for you and I to lay hold of something, sometimes, have you ever wanted to take hold of something in order to take hold of something you had to let go of something in your life? You know, we have to reprioritize our lives a lot of times, right? You want to do something, so you go, well, in order for me to do that, I got to give up this, right? I got to let go of this. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. There's things that we all need to let go of in order to lay hold of. So he says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. For if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You think about that. See, in 1 Peter you know, 1, two through five, this is what happened. Remember he said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in sanctification of the spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So he says, therefore, <laughs> therefore, because of all this, therefore, you need to do what? You need, you, you need to let go of some stuff. And, and you look at that, that list there. Is there any of those things in your life today? Even, even knowing that everything is true, that God has saved you, that you're the elect of God, that you belong to him, that there's a place being created for you in heaven. But he says, but you need to lay aside malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Is that prevalent in your life? You think of you know, the word malice there. It's a general word for ill will. Do you have ill will in your heart towards anybody? Yeah, 
You need to let go of that. That's taken up space. It's taken up useful space in your life. How about deceit? You know, Peter was a fisherman. You know what deceit is? Because he understood this. It means to bait a hook. And you think about that. You put a worm over the hook to do what? To hide it. Because what are you doing? You're, you're, you're lying to the fish. You're tricking the fish. Fishing is a deceitful sport. Do you know that? Now you know why men like it so much. No. But what are you doing? You bait the hook. What are you doing? You're, you're deceiving the fish. It's, fishing's all about a lie. I'm not feeding you. I'm going to catch you. And then once I catch you, I'm going to eat you. You know? Yeah. But it's a sport. And you think about it. So what is it, what is it in a human sense? It's to play a trick on someone to get them to give you what you want or to get your way. That, that's what being deceitful is. How about hypocrisy? We all know what hypocrisy is, right? It means to wear a mask. You know, in Greek language, you know, you think of it as a play, you know, the actors would put on a mask and they would either have a smiley face or have a frown or whatever it would be, but it was a mask. And it says, you know, we all get that. We, we know what hypocrisy is. Do you ever put a mask on? Do you ever present yourself? I mean, if you have a social media account, it's probably true. I don't know too many people that get up in the morning, you know, and take their phone and go, you know, this is me today. You know, we wait, you know, and you, you, you know, again, because of, you know, uh, chicken skin, old people don't take pictures from down here. You don't. You just look. They're all up here. You know, it's not like just even in front of you. It's way up there. You know, some people get, you get a, one of them things and you, you know, it's way out there, you know, the camera. You, we get it present ourselves in a way that we're really not, you know? Yeah. Are we guilty of it? Yeah. And, and what is Peter saying? Hey, quit playing the hypocrite. Be who you are. You know, God loves you just like you are. The world, I mean, how many times do I have to tell you? The world will, what? It's going to use you. It's going to abuse you. And then it's going to lose you. That is the way of the world. But you have a God who knows everything about you. He knows warts and all, and he loves you. And why are we then being drawn to everything and everybody else? You know, that's, that's the question. Again, 20 years from now, Mark Twain hit it right on the head. It's not going to be what we did do. It's what we didn't do. It's the opportunities to draw close to the Lord. How about envy? This, this is probably the hardest sin for Christians to confess is our envy. You know, we watch somebody else being blessed and we're envious of, of what they, they have. Or we get mad. Somebody gets something new and you get mad. You know, <laughs> Why? We're, we become like Judas Iscariot in those moments, you know. Envious of, of other people. Or just, you know, joyful when there's misfortune, you know, in somebody else's life. Due to envy. How about evil speaking or a better term, slander? Talking somebody else down, gossiping, taking a, a cheap shot at them in a conversation or just not finishing this. Well, I could tell you, man, I'm not. Leaving a cloud, you know, over somebody else's life. Peter says, but no, instead, what we need to do 
In verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As newborn babies desire, you know, think about that, they crave milk, right? Actually thinking, speaking of newborn babies, hey, do you guys have that picture? Let me see, I want to show you. This is, this is my wife and I, this is our, our newest grandchild. This is Maxwell Michael Ostheimer. And that was one of the reasons that we were gone. We got to see our isn't that like the cutest? I, I, I've said this before. When Lee and I had children, I mean, we had babies, and I was like, babies aren't that cute. This kid's cute. This is, this is the best we've ever done. You know I mean? Go back to that one. That, that, uh, look at that. That's, that's like you can't find a cuter baby than that. Okay, where were we? All right, anyway, as, as newborn babies desire, man, we were over there yesterday, and Maxwell was screaming to the top of his lungs, those little lungs, but I tell you, little lungs can be piercing, right? Why? Because he was hungry, and so Lee got a bottle, and, and she's there with him, the next thing you know, she changes him, and, and she's holding him, and he's out like a lamp. As newborn babies desire, crave, and he was craving, and he lets you know when he's craving. Do we have that same kind of craving for the Word of God, you know, in our life? I mean, think about this. And, and there's no accidents with God. When, when is the greatest growth that takes place in a baby's life? It's from birth to three years of age, right? That, that's the greatest development. What are they predominantly doing from birth to almost three years old? They're breastfeeding. They're being, they're being breastfed. There's something about the pure milk, you know, that that brings about the development of life. And, and God is telling us in his word, as a newborn babe craves and has to have, you know, milk. You know, we used to have a campaign on commercials. Everybody needs milk or milk does a body good, right? The milk of God's word. It's not just the elementary things. You know, I mean, you can have a steak. People, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I always love this. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I'm not into the milk anymore. You know, I'm a steak guy now because i've been walking with jesus you know this long I've... milk meat okay all right bozo watch this they start eating their steak and guess what happens who needs milk now <laughs> you know you go they all go together it's like don't we we get so proud so pompous and it's like no the milk of god's word we we should crave that that's what he said yes and, and Paul does say, you know, that I can't give you meat because all you can have is milk. And he was talking about their lack of spiritual development. But he wasn't downplaying saying, oh, you know, that milk was no good. It's definitely essential, you know, to us. And so we saw, you know, the, the first three results of belonging to God is you're, if you're reading this, you know, is be holy, be fearful, and be loving. And then as we conclude today, we find the fourth one. There's something else. The fourth result of belonging to God, it's found in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It's be a priest. Be a priest. And we have to talk about that because you go, that doesn't sound be a priest. But no, he saved each and every one of us. We are called to a priestly office. A pre we have a priestly duty here. He says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up 
a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, the Jews had the temple. And so what Peter's doing is he's putting Christianity on the same level as Judaism. He says, you have a temple, we have a temple. <laughs> okay, yours is, is, is stones figuratively, you know, literally, ours is figuratively, it's living stones that are being built up together. You have a priesthood, we have a priesthood. And, and so they can make the connection here. And, and I, I pray that, you know, we do as well. And, and you think about this, you know, every time a person comes to Christ, what's happening? A living stone, the, the church is being built up, the body of Christ. God is adding to the church. And, and what a, a beautiful analogy that it is. It's a spiritual house. We are a holy priesthood, and we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And, and you think about, you know, what is he calling us to do? Well, he, he gives us the answer. He says, you know, in 1 Peter 2.9, you know, because you think about, what do I have to offer God? I mean, as a priest, you know, what does God desire? Does God desire something from me? And does he desire something from you that he doesn't have? You go, yeah. What doesn't he have that he wants? And you think about it. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does God want you and I to do? He doesn't just want us to come to church. You know, a lot of people go, oh, you know, I didn't, I went to church. I went to church. He's wait, church isn't a building. Do you get that? Church is not a building. Church is what? It's people. It's you. Where does God live? Does he live at 6501 Shira Court? No, he lives in your heart. He's with you everywhere that you go. So you go, what does he want you to do? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. What, what are those things? We, we, we can see those. The, the sacrifice of praise. You did that in worship, right? You did it here, but do you do it out there? Do you give God the praise and the glory? Who gets the praise and the glory in your life for the great things that he's done? Is it a sweet-smelling sweet aroma, a fragrant offering? See, what is worship by definition? Think about that for a second. Worship means to declare someone's worth. That's what you do. When you worship something, you are declaring their worth. There's another expression of worship means to turn and to kiss. You think about it, there's a beautiful thing with worship and what God's called us to. And so just very quickly here, just some things, if you're a note taker, you might write these down. You know, what, what can we offer God that belongs to us that we can give to him? And like I said, first and foremost, you can sacrifice your body. Your body. That's the thing that happens, you know, in, in a marriage relationship. It says, and the two became one. Is when we give our heart to Jesus Christ, we give him our body. That my life is no longer my own. It's whatever God wants to do. We sacrifice our bodies. We shared that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present what? Your body. Your body as a living sacrifice. You know, again, so your body's important, right? I mean, you know, when you're here and you're serving, because that's a, a lot of what goes on, when you're serving, you know, the kingdom of heaven, your body's there. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, I support you, but there's another thing to show up you know, to take part, to be there. 
You know, the church cannot be the church just completely by social media. Virtually impossible. And the writer of Hebrews explains it. You know, says, don't forsake the gathering together, which he says is common with some. But we're to come together and to what? To love each other and to stir each other up, to love and to good works, to help each other. You've been in a situation where you needed help. Usually it comes in the form of a person, right? Somebody, somebody helps you. Yeah. So we're saying, God, you know, here's my hands, here's my feet, here's my mouth. It belongs to you. I give you my life. Is that, is that what you did when you were born again? Did you give him your life? He gave his life for you. Our reasonable act of worship is that we would give our life to him. Second is the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13 Verse 15 says, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. So what are we doing? We're, we're singing it. We're saying it. God, you're awesome. I love you. You know, I believe in you. I trust you. Verse 16 in Hebrews 13 goes on. It says, and do not forget to do good and to share for which such sacrifice God is well pleased. Yeah, sharing our life. Paul, you know, to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 8, 24, show them the proof of your love and the reason for our boasting in you. Living out your faith. The third, you can sacrifice your life through your giving. Every time that we give financially, you know, Philippians chapter four, Paul talks about it being an acceptable sacrifice that's well-pleasing to God. These are things that we do that, that express our love and our devotion, our commitment to Jesus Christ. And the rest of the chapter it goes on and he's dealing with very practical things. You know, how to live out what God is working in you. You can read that in verses 11 and 12. How we should respond to even the government that's around us. We'll, we'll take a look at that, you know, next week. It's so fitting but the end of it really is what I want to draw your attention to. In verse 24 and 25, because we'll come back to this next week. But he says, in verse 24, he says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, says, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. See, we have the freedom today to be who we are. Who are you? I, I, I pray that our, our greatest joy in this life is to be able to say, I'm a Christian. See, a lot of people, I'm a man or I'm a woman. It's like, no, I'm a Christian. And I belong to God. God loved me so much. He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. You weren't bought, you know, with, with metal or paper, the way that the world does a transaction. You were bought with the precious blood of the lamb. You belong to God. You're free. You're free to... To serve him, you're free not to serve him. You're free to love him. You're free not to love him. But Peter is saying, but therefore, 
because of the fact that he chose you, that you're electing God, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You can do away with all these things that are trying to hold on to you today. And you can lay hold of that which you were laid hold of for, like the Apostle Paul would write about in the book of Philippians. I haven't apprehended that, he said, that I was apprehended for. He says, but this I do know, and maybe that's really the key for all of us today, is I got to forget the things which are behind. You got to let go. If you're going to lay hold of everything that God has for you, what is it today that you need to let go of? And you already know what it is. There's something you know, between you and God today. You know, Mike and I, and Flea and Lee, we were in Oregon and we were walking on this hike. They, whenever we go out of town, my wife takes me someplace to try to kill me. Um, no, I, I always tease her that. I say that because that's how we found out I had heart disease. We were, we were on a hike and over in uh, Avila Beach and uh, we're, we're hiking up this, she, she's like, she looks back and I'm just barely, you know, coming up this hill and she's like, are you okay? And I, I don't think so. And I uh, come back home and find out that I have a 90% blockage in the left anterior descending artery, which is the one they call the widow maker. And so we laughed about it because I, yeah, my wife was trying to kill me. You know, it's like, she didn't know, we didn't know anything about it. But so whenever we go on a hike, I just live with this fear that somebody's trying to kill me. Um, you know, so we're, we're on this hike and, and uh, we're coming back and, and we're, the girls are talking about the study in Moses. And they're talking about the life of Moses and stuff. And Mike's talking with Flea and Lee about that. And, and he says something to me about Moses and him having on his sandals. And, he's, and I, I think he said something to the effect like, you know, um, or Flea said, you know, why, why did, you know, would God tell him to, you know, take off his sandals for where he stands his holy ground? And I said, you know, God's wanting all of us, Moses included, to uh, take away or to eliminate anything that stands between us and him. And you think about that today. When Peter, you know, here in chapter two, and he's like, put away all these things. You know, if you're, if you're going to lay hold of all the things that God has for you, you're gonna to have to let go. What is the thing that's coming between you and Jesus? And he's going to eliminate that thing. You know, eliminate that, get it out of your life. And, and the reminder of that is there at the end of the chapter. And he says, in verse 25, he says, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, you know, and the overseer. He's the bishop of your life, of the overseer of your soul. Is get rid of those things. Come back to Jesus. Be reminded, you know, and again, he was talking to people that were suffering tremendous persecution. He's going, don't look at the emperor. Don't look at the king. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at all this. Let go of this bitterness that so easily can entangle us and snare us. And fix your eyes back on the prize. Fix your eyes back on the prize. And that prize is what? It's Jesus. And I'll tell you what, if you and I did that today, today's a good day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love in our life. Thank you that, Lord, today, as a Christian, as a, as a child of God, Lord, you've set us free. We don't have to be hypocrites. We don't have to wear a mask. Lord, you've saved us. You've loved us. Lord, you're preparing us, Lord, with a hope and a future, with something better. We're, we're pilgrims just passing through. Lord, help us to, to be and to enjoy what it is to be a Christian, to be a tiny Christ. Lord, people knew you because you were holy. 
They recognized you, Lord, because you were loving. And Lord, may you work in each of our lives this day, a greater holiness, a greatest, greater sense of your love and your purpose, Lord. Everything you did was motivated by love. Everything that you did was pure. May those things be said of our lives as well as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet and we'll send you out with the worship today. If you need prayer for anything,